Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. As we begin Mark 3, we pick up right in the middle of a teaching on the Sabbath. Uh, We ended last week with Jesus saying, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man, um, that title that Jesus gives himself that appears to have carried little baggage with it uh, at the time um, in terms of general understanding. Um, It was a messianic or royal title, but because people weren't used to it, Jesus could impart to that whatever meaning uh, he wanted. And so, who is is the true Messiah? Well, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, then teaches us who the Son of Man is, and we learn from him who the true Messiah is. So the Son of Man is Lord... Uh, even of the Sabbath. All of the healing and teaching of Jesus to this point reveal what kind of a king he is and what his true identity is. Uh, Think of it. Unclean spirits must listen to him. Who who do demons submit to but God alone? Unclean people are made clean by him. Who can heal? Who can make clean other than God alone? He has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that question that the Pharisees asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And he healed the man. He stood up in front of them all. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He's the Son of Man. He's the bridegroom, and the one the bride waits for and rejoices in. The bridegroom, as Nathan told us last week, a a title for God himself, for Israel, the bridegroom. And then last week also, he is Lord of the Sabbath, with an authority like David that sets a precedent. You remember when uh, Jesus, um, his his, uh, disciples are accused of doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath, and Jesus says that story about David getting the bread, the show bread that was only for the priests and giving it to his followers, um, that appears to have been a precedent that David set. David did this, and we think, oh, okay, I guess that was okay, For David to do. He's the king. He's the rightful heir. Yes, it's okay to take the showbread, give it to starving men, even if it was only meant for the priests. So that authority of David, they recognized as an authority to dictate what was right and wrong. Well, Jesus says, one greater than David is here. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, who gave the Sabbath? God did. God entered his rest. God gave the Sabbath. He gave the command. So if 
the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, then who is Jesus? He's claiming authority equal with God. Lord of the Sabbath. So, each section, though, Jesus is questioned by someone not quite okay with what he's doing or what his disciples are doing. And Jesus, in each instance, comes back with an answer and proves that what he's doing is good, right, and who he is. Well, it comes to a head tonight in Mark 3. The opposition to Jesus becomes outright, and we end the, um, the first narrative by them seeking to destroy him, to kill him. So this is the first instance in Mark where um, the plot to kill Jesus comes out. So, before we, we read the section, um, we're just going to read the first six verses first. Um, a question for you. Did the Pharisees have a correct understanding of the Sabbath? Was their interpretation of the Sabbath what God had commanded? Or did Jesus, the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath, i.e. the giver of the Sabbath, have the true understanding? So, you've got these two things. Was Jesus, what he was doing, in keeping with the Sabbath? Or was what the Pharisees said and did in keeping with the Sabbath, the true Sabbath? Okay? So, let's uh, read our passage, and hopefully we can answer that question by the end. Mark chapter 3. Again, He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. We will read uh, the other two sections as we come to them. We'll spend most of our time on uh, these first six verses uh, this evening, but we will get through verse 19 tonight. There's Jesus. There's the man with the withered hand, shriveled, we don't know how long. And there's the Pharisees, the main players in this act. But the Pharisees are not neutral here. They have an agenda. Do they not? Were they there to worship God? It's a Sabbath after all. It's a synagogue. They're going to to worship. Is that why they were there, kids? Is that why they were there? They would worship God? How about were they there to hear God's word? Is that what they were eagerly waiting for? Were they there to rest in the love and knowledge of God who had saved them and made them his own? 
No. What was their agenda? Why were they there at the synagogue that day? Lulu? They wanted to see. And if he did, what would they do? That he's breaking God's law is what they would say, right? They wanted to accuse him, it said. So they were working actively to find a way to accuse Jesus. That was their agenda, why they showed up at the synagogue that day. Jesus knew this and is unwilling to leave them there. So, what does he do? Calls the man with the withered hand, has him stand in front of them all, and asks them a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Let's come back to that question in a moment. There's a, a, a story in Holland of a, a little Dutch boy. Their home was near the dike, and uh, near their home was a windmill. And the windmill is the big fan, the big blades that go round and round. And the blades, as they came down, would get fairly close to the ground. And so the little boy was told by his parents not to play near the windmill. Because the problem is, if he gets too close, it might hook him on his clothes. He gets lifted up in the air and fall down and hits the next blade and is probably killed. Okay? Now, his parents loved him, told him not to do that. But as little children do, they kind of want to do what they want to do sometimes. And so he disobeyed his parents, and he was playing near the windmill. And just sort of lost track of where he was, and suddenly he felt himself get hooked up and lifted into the air, and he felt those blades beating upon him. And he turned around his head, and there was his father's face. His father had scooped him up and was giving him a paddling on his backside. And he started to cry, cry for tears of joy that he was not getting killed by the windmill, but he was being disciplined by a father that loved him. Now, imagine if that boy... Rather than in tears of joy, he had been saved from death. Instead, hated his father. Indeed, hated him so that he looked for the next opportunity to get rid of him. No way. Never. That's exactly what we have in the story here. The Pharisees have been called out. They're on a path to destruction. Jesus called them out, exposed their false righteousness that they trusted so much in, exposed it for what it was, only rules made to the, make them look righteous before others, filthy rags, unable to save them at all. Completely worthless. And yet when called out, what do they do? 
They sit there in silence. And Jesus turns angry and grieved at their hardness of heart. Only then does he heal the man. Stretches out his hand, restored. How wonderful! This man whose useless hand had probably prevented him from worshiping in the temple. No maimed people could go into the temple. His hand is restored. He can do his work again. How long had he been this way? Rejoicing, wonderful, made whole. One more chance to praise God and turn to Jesus. Only God can heal like that. Maybe we're wrong. But no, these religious leaders only hated Jesus for the wonder he had done. And they go out and they plot how they might destroy Jesus. Let's go back to that question that Jesus asks. There's a contrast there. What is right to do on the Sabbath? Do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? You might think that perhaps Jesus is saying it would be killing if I didn't heal this man. In, in other words, Jesus' inaction is on the one hand and Jesus' action is on the other. But I think almost certainly that's not what Jesus is comparing when he's talking about killing and giving life. Rather, almost certainly, he's comparing his own action with the Pharisees' actions. You see those two things that are happening there on the Sabbath? His action restoring this man to whole, complete life. Pharisees keeping of the Sabbath, plotting to kill Jesus. To save life, Jesus' action, seek to kill life, the Pharisees' action. Filthy rags, their righteousness, filthy rags. Jesus came to call sinners, not the Righteous. So what is it that we would sit silent for when Jesus asked us a direct question? The Lord knows where to push and what pillars we have put up and monument of ourselves. How will you respond the next time he pushes your button. Never regret being brought down from a, to that lowest state if we turn to Jesus in humility and say, forgive me, Lord. You were right. Teach me your way, O Lord. Questions, comments about that section? Verse 7, 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And wherever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This section serves as a bit of a summary of all that Jesus was doing, um, but it also reminds us of a few things. Many came to Jesus from all over, but why did these people crowding around him, why did they come to him? What was their motivation? He was God? Yeah, he, he was doing the things that only God can do, right? Yeah, he was healing people. A mad rush of people to get these good things that Jesus was doing. But if a man is healed and then continues on with his life and dies and then goes to hell, what good is that? Not so much. These crowds, they want the goodies from Jesus, but Jesus knows that their true need is. They need to be healed, certainly, but to hear and respond to God's word and faith. And so what does he do? What is the thing that Jesus so needs to do? What does he do? Say, you get something ready. He has a boat ready. Well, that's kind of funny. What do you do with a boat? Lulu? Sail. You sail, yeah. Sail away. Is that what he wants? He wants to get away from the people? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. In a sense, right? He needs to be a little bit away from them. But uh, we're going to see um, that Jesus, this is a, a way that he preaches. He gets in a boat, goes a little way out from the people, and they can hear his voice across the water, and they can, they're able to hear what God's word is, and they need their hearts changed. We're also reminded that the evil spirits who hate him know him, but want to expose him and undermine his ministry, probably most likely why they shouted out what they did. But Jesus silences them, and they must submit to him. So, on the one hand, uh, the last section, we have the, the Pharisees, the religious leadership, hating Jesus. We have the crowds thronging to Jesus, wanting what they can from him, wanting to get all they can out of him. But then, is there a third group? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. And he went up on the mountain, 
and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are those whom Jesus calls. You notice they, he goes up on a mountain, he calls them to himself. And they're sent out with his authority to preach and have authority over the demons. He is claiming back his world. They're preaching, casting out demons. These, the twelve, among other disciples, these who will continue his mission, proclaiming the kingdom of God. That is what he came to do. Now, it's not uh, that they know all will be treated to much ignorance on the part of the apostles throughout the book of Mark. But what do they do? They look to Jesus and they follow him. In fact, this next week or probably the week after, uh, we are beginning the parables, some of the parables of Jesus. And Jesus tells a parable and do the disciples get it? No. They're like, what, what is he talking about? What was that? Yeah, they don't know what it is. But what do the disciples end up doing? If they, they ask Jesus what it means. That's right, they come to him. They go back to him. They follow Jesus. They ask him. The crowds, they go away. Huh, that was kind of weird. I don't know what that means. But Jesus' true disciples will continue to go to him again and again and ask him. So, those are the groups. We've got the haters, the grabbers, and the followers. Where do you find yourself? May we all have the enormous privilege of hearing Jesus' voice, believing in him, setting aside all, and following him wherever he might lead us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we certainly, I know I certainly, have found myself in each group when I have been called out for some sin, wanting to bury the person that exposed me rather than repent of it. I've also, Lord, found myself wanting to get all that I can from you, you but not truly really wanting to listen. 
But Lord, I also have known your voice and want to follow you more and more. Please change my heart. Change the hearts of all of your people, Lord, to submit ourselves to you, to eagerly desire to do your will, and Lord, to long more than anything else to be near you and to see your face. I pray that you would bless this teaching, bless this word that we have heard this evening. May it produce good fruit in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing hymn 509 um, as a prayer uh, to the Lord. Uh, I think a good response. But, um, but I think, Emily, I think we'll do that after our time of prayer. Um, but uh, kind of keep the, those thoughts in your mind that we read here. And uh, 509, imagine if the Pharisees had sung that song rather than what they did. Um, our time of prayer is upon us. <clears throat> 